Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. How you doing, Angela? It's October. Fall was in the spooky. air. Spooky. Very spooky. Pumpkin spice everything. Yeah, I, we had we had donuts. We got Krispy Kreme donuts that were pumpkin spice. That was the only thing we've had, but they were pretty delightful. Yeah, I'm not big on pumpkin spice stuff, so see, it's, I usually to, pass on those. To me, that. pumpkin spice just tastes like cinnamon, so I love it. That's true. It does have a very cinnamony flavor to it. Yeah, so it's it's good. It's not as good as cinnamon, I think, but it's good. Yeah, but with October, we have a lot of Halloween-themed videos over on our YouTube channel, so mm-hmm. be sure to head over there. Uh, this past week, we did a uh, chocolate-covered apple that looks like the poison apple from Snow White. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun. Very tasty, too. Oh, my gosh. Caramel chocolate. So good. So, yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah, if for no other reason, go check it out just to get the recipe for the caramel that we made because I don't even like caramel. Like, somebody gives me a Werther's original, it goes straight to the trash can, but the one that, that you made was so good. It was good, yeah. Caramel with white chocolate-covered apples. Um, those are all really good. And I was going to say, what you could do, if you didn't want to make it Snow White-themed, you could always add, speaking of cinnamon, like a little cinnamon sugar on it, because we had some extra and we did oh, that yeah. with it. Tastes amazing. It tastes like if you've ever had a Rocky Mountain Candy uh, Company apple that they have. They sell them for like $7. They're so good, though. Yeah, like it tastes like pot. that. Yeah, they're very good. So definitely recommend it. It's a quick video, too, so it's a quick watch to learn that one. So, all right, moving into Disney news, a lot of, like, really kind of sad news. I mean, Disney mm-hmm. announced, you know, this week that they are laying off 28,000 cast members, and there's really no easy way to transition into this, but with the, you know, prolonged closures of all the parks, Disneyland is still closed. You know, a lot of these cast members were furloughed in March, and then, you know, Disney's announced that, They've had to make the decision to lay them off. I mean, there's no really easy way to say it. It sucks. I mean, it, yeah. it, it really does. And our our thoughts are with all of those cast members affected by this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it seems like there's, I mean, I know that we we kind of were just spe- like talking about this. It seems like minivans, they're no longer in existence right now. Yeah. I mean, it really like, it's not just the, it's not just Disneyland cast members that are getting laid off. It's, it's, Disney World as well, and that's what some of the stories are coming out that all of the uh, minivan drivers have been laid off, and now apparently the website's been updated to no longer include the minivan service, so it sounds like that's just done mm-hmm. completely. And that's super sad, too, because we, we in our Is It Worth It episodes, we definitely said that the minivans, they're expensive, but they're worth it. Yeah, and I think that's part of the problem. It's just they're so expensive compared to Lyft. They probably didn't have... They probably didn't make as much because Disney you know, probably invested on all these... Minivan, yeah and it, it was probably just too too expensive to maintain but but there's word that all of the all-star resort employees were laid yeah. off as well now those resorts are closed there's no reopening date i don't think this means that those resorts are done forever i think it just right. means that disney is not expecting the ability to increase crowds one and two the ability for crowds to want to return that they're going to need those all-star resorts open yeah. you know at this point so but yeah, I mean, it just it just doesn't look good across the board. I mean, there's there's mm-hmm. a lot of um, again, twenty eight thousand employees is is a lot of employees. I mean, Disney employs a lot of people, but that's still a lot of employees, and it does seem to be just you know across the board. There's apparently people in Imagineering, you know, people across the parks and the hotels, and I think this kind of signals that you know we're in still for a rough 
couple years. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, people were, oh, the Disney parks are opening, crowds are starting to come back, things are getting better. I mean, Disney has announced some entertainments coming back, like the Frozen sing-alongs returning to Hollywood Studios. But I think this still goes to show, I mean, it's not, not just Disney, I mean, the whole economy, we're not quite out of the woods yet. And it's, right. there, there's going to be more to come. So if any of our listeners want to help out you know, any of the cast members impacted by this. A lot of different uh, Disney sites have been putting out ways to help. So, you know, one way is the Disney cast member pantry. Um, they're on Facebook. They provide meals and things to cast members in need. Also, you could look at donating to the Second Harvest Food Bank. They're out of Southern California and they kind of service the county that Disneyland is in. Um, so those are a couple ways. I also know Carly Wiesel, who we had on the episode uh, a few weeks ago. She's been sharing a lot of stuff of, of different ways to help cast members. So follow her on all of her social media. I think right. she's even showing like if certain cast members have Etsy stores, she's been trying to promote them, you know, just to anything, um, you know, people can do to kind of help. Um, so we'll, we'll put a link to, you know, the cast member pantry and a few of these things in the description, but definitely if you do like a Google search or just look, a lot of people are, you know, kind of reaching out for ways to, you know, support all the cast members impacted by this. Yeah. Disney also announced this week that D23 is getting postponed. So it should have happened next year because it happens every two years. It's getting postponed until September of 2022. So again, you know, they're already canceling something that wasn't going to happen until probably August of next year. They're pushing that back. Um, so again, just kind of goes to show the, the state of things. But they did announce that of, as part of the 2022 D23 is they will be making announcements on the celebration for the 100th anniversary of the Disney company, which will be occurring in 2023. Wow. Um, because it Walt started in, in 1923. So so it sounds like they'll be doing something special at that point. So yeah, so it's kind of strange they're, you know, delaying it already. But, you know, with that kind of negative news, they, I think, try to keep people excited in it by saying, hey, we're going to have some announcements around the 100th anniversary of the company. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely a little bit of a rough news segment there. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a of a downer this week. Okay, well then let's let's move off of that. And this week we're going to be covering the 1990s. Yes, continuation on our Disney Decade series. So we're into the 90s now. Whoop whoop. Getting close. Represent. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'll say this: the the 90s I think can be classified as the expansion era of Disney. I mean, I think as we've gone through each of these decades, there's kind of been an overarching theme that, that we've kind of discussed, you know, each decade that that's kind of a through line with it. Uh, you know, with the eighties, it was kind of the turmoil behind the scenes of the company mm -hmm. and definitely the fight to kind of keep Disney alive. Whereas 90 is, I think where we see the transformation into the modern Disney kind of conglomerate that we know today. Right. I mean, it's really interesting looking at some of the some of the things that were built in terms of theme parks and hotels and everything that only happened in the 90s. That really this is when Disney World became, you know, the multi-day resort destination. This is when Disney expanded across the globe. And and this is really what set them up you know, into the 2000s and today to be where they are. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of it we think of, oh, the past 20 years with with Pixar and Fox acquisition and, and everything. Marvel and Star Wars. Yeah, as, as a huge kind of expansion of the company, which it was, you know, and it and still is. 
but really, I mean, in the nineties, I almost think it tops that. And I think without kind of what Michael Eisner did to grow the company in the nineties, I don't think Disney would have ever even been in the position that they were to make all those acquisitions today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So just to kind of start off, uh, we've actually extensively covered the Disney Renaissance. We have two and a half hours. Uh, yeah, we have two and a half hours. Plus, we did a um, Would You Rather Disney Renaissance version. So definitely check out those episodes. We talk about all the movies released in, in the 1990s, all of the, the animated films. Well, I will say this. Yeah, it's, it's really the main animated yes, films. Yes, it's not all of them. Yeah, there's definitely a, a ton more films. But you're right. I think the Disney Renaissance is probably one of the most notable things to come out of this decade right of kind of the resurgence of disney animation and just to to kind of briefly touch on that the little mermaid came out in 1989 so it was right before the 1990s but then the rescuers down under was released beauty and the beast hercules pocahontas hunchback aladdin mulan tarzan and the lion king so all of those movies were released in the 1990s. That was in no particular order. And of course, they all have achieved just incredible status for the Disney company. Yeah. And I will say, like we said, those are kind of like the main ones. I mean, there were other uh, you know, live action movies released, and we'll kind of touch on that. But there were other animated movies released. Like in researching this episode, a Goofy movie. I kind of forgot that yeah. that came out in the 90s. But that came out in 1995. That was an animated movie. It was actually Kevin Lima's directorial debut. And Kevin Lima went on to direct Tarzan and Enchanted oh, wow. later. So that was his his first movie. It was based on the Goof Troop TV series, which also came out in the 90s. But it was released one month before Pocahontas. So it's hmm. right in the heart of the Renaissance. And I was kind of trying to look up, like, why is this not considered a Renaissance movie? Yeah. Like, it, it should be. I mean, it's an animated movie. It came out during the Renaissance. Uh-huh. I mean, Rescuers Down Under is considered a Renaissance movie. Like it's, <laughs> it's not that that good of a movie. But oh, th- so that hurts some listeners. <laughs> so, but the only thing I can think of is it has a good heart to it. Is that it? It only made thirty five million at the box office. So it was compared to the other Renaissance movies, extremely low. I mean, I think Pocahontas yeah. made a few hundred million. So thirty five million is pretty low. And then also. I would imagine probably because it's not an original story. Yeah. Whereas the other ones now rescuers down under was a sequel, but still it, it was, they were still all original stories where a goofy movie again was kind of an extension of a TV series. Yeah. The goof troop ser- series. Right. And so th- that's my guess is why it's kind of not included in the Renaissance. I feel like it should be. I mean like why, why not have that in there? Well, you figure the Rescuers Down Under probably had a cult following to begin with because I'm sure there were people who lived through that and that was part of their childhood and then they wanted to take their kids to see these characters that they loved. Um, but where like a TV series might not have as much of a, a following. So that's why it only made $35 that, million. And that's the only thing I can think of is because, again, it's a continuation of a TV series. But I know a lot of people love a Goofy movie and I think probably a lot of people would say it should be included in the Renaissance. But there was a lot of you know, live action movies that came out. And I think we talked about this in the 80s, but, you know, Disney started the the Touchstone picture label to kind of release different movies that weren't all Disney-based. Now, I'm not saying all of these movies were released under Touchstone, but it provided them an opportunity to kind of expand past the, again, animated 
solely focused on children programming. I mean, you know, we get Pirates of the Caribbean in the 2000s and things, but like, yeah. you know, Disney has done other types of movies. We had Tron in the 80s that wasn't just animation. So, but in the 90s, I mean, they had a string of maybe not necessarily commercial hits, but I think very popular movies amongst a lot of people that yeah. I remember personally. I mean, now Newsies came out in 1992. That starred Christian Bale. <laughs> I've not, we've not seen this movie. Yeah, this was pre Batman. Um, We have not seen this one, but you know, something we want to watch. I see it come up on Disney Plus, but it had 12 songs written by Alan Menken, who basically wrote all of the music of the 90s. Well, this is a huge Broadway success, this, this movie, or I mean, what I think that it was a movie first and then turned into Broadway. Yeah, and I think it makes sense because I mean, Alan Menken's writing songs for it. Right, right. And this is loosely based on the Newsboys strike of 1899. But again, oh, that's my favorite strike. <laughs> it's your favorite. It's your favorite newspaper strike of all time. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's a very popular movie. Again, I heard a lot about it. Uh, haven't had the chance to see it yet, but I think it's something we want to watch. But that was 1992. You also get the Mighty Ducks in 1992. Now that's mm-hmm. a, a major film franchise, and it's also in the same year Disney created an actual NHL team. That this they, is insane. They to created think about. the Mighty Ducks because. It is so hard. Talk to, about product tie-in to do anything. So they had to have like been working on with the NHL years in advance to do this, and then they just timed it so that they happened the same at the same time. Because nothing like goes through the pipeline as fast. I was going to say we talk about corporate synergies today with Disney oh, and yeah. how you know if if Marvel is releasing a movie. They'll they'll show trailers of it on Good Morning America on ABC or Shark Tank will have a tie or you know something Dancing with the Stars. I mean Dancing with the Stars just had their Disney night the other night yes. to tie into all the Disney movies. I and mean, there's all these you know crazy corporate synergies, but Disney <laughs> created a hockey team to yes. go along with this movie. So that way when you saw the movie, you're like, oh, I want to cheer for the Mighty Ducks. Well, you can because they're real. <laughs> now, they've changed their name. They're the Anaheim Ducks now. So that's yeah, not so it, too far away. They're no longer called the Mighty Ducks. And they're not owned by Disney anymore. Correct. But Dis- but Disney did own them. And they also owned another uh, professional sports team in the 90s, which, which we'll get to that. But so they had the Mighty Ducks. Hocus Pocus came out in 1993, which I can't believe that movie is that old at this point. <laughs> Now, what's interesting about Hocus Pocus is people today, everybody knows it because it, yes. it has gotten this cult following. Huge cult following. But it did terrible when it was released. So Rotten Tomatoes actually gave it a 37% wow. Rotten Tomatoes score, and it did not do very well at the box office when it first came out in 93. But through VHS and DVD sales throughout the years and almost like constant showings every October on like ABC family and Freeform, whatever they're calling that channel now. <laughs> it's gotten this huge cult following. There was actually an article from, I believe it was like 2011 that talked about how it would still do a million dollars a year every October in DVD sales. That's insane. Which would be 18 years later at that point. So, and it actually was just re-released in theaters because there's not much going on in theaters now. <laughs> um, and it actually made $650,000 in one day. Are you serious? Yeah. So That's it, insane. So it, I mean, it's all over Disney. I mean, the, the Sanderson sisters are on the Mickey's not so scary Halloween party and they're all over Disney. Again, it has this huge cult following, but in 93, it didn't really do that well. Huh. And it's really interesting. And there's a lot of, I think things that came out during the nineties that maybe weren't initial successes 
like this yeah. that Disney did that ended up having cult followings. Like, I think a Goofy movie is another one that we yeah. just talked about. This is like a fascinating thing that happens in pop culture. You know, like you hear about all kinds of painters and things, people who weren't popular during their lifetime, but then they like, then they generated like after they were dead, they generated so much popularity. And I feel like these movies, like a lot of them have that same thing going on for them. You know, they have some proponents and they show it to other people and they're like, Oh, this is actually pretty good. Another one of my favorites that came out during the 1990s is the Santa Claus in 1994 with Tim Allen. Um, This movie was a childhood staple for me. And now that I think about it as an adult, it's kind of messed up. Um, you know, basically Tim Allen kills Santa Claus. That's pretty bad. And then he has to be, and then he becomes him, but you know, little kids don't think about it too much, but yeah, this is, it's, it's a great movie. Very, very enjoyable. And I definitely make sure I watch it every couple years just to kind of refresh my memory. Yeah. And again, that spawned, you know, multiple sequels. Yeah. I think there are three of them. Yeah. I think there ended up being three, uh, Santa Claus movies overall. So 101 Dalmatians also came out. Uh, that came out in 1996. With Glenn Close as Cruella yes. DeVille. So and that did, live action. That did really well. That did $320 million at the box office. And it actually got a sequel in 2000, 102 Dalmatians. But what was interesting, I didn't realize this, that was actually written by John Hughes. He also wrote uh, Flubber, which came out in 1997. But John Hughes, um, most notably known for movies such as Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Pretty in Pink, The Breakfast Club. He also did Home Alone, which is now kind of a Disney property. Um, because they own Fox. But yeah, he wrote 101 Dalmatians and Flubber as well. And those are both pretty popular movies. I remember Flubber with Robin Williams uh, as being a a really funny movie. Another one was The Parent Trap with Lindsay Lohan that came out in 1998, the remake there. Um, That movie was, again, another staple of my childhood. I loved that movie. It was so good. Yeah, and I think this just kind of goes to show... Michael Eisner's impact. So we, we had talked about in the 80s, Michael Eisner becoming CEO. And again, the 90s was really him just expanding the whole company. Now he came from a Hollywood uh, background at Paramount. Mm-hmm. So he he knew how to make movies. And that I think was one of the reasons why they brought him in to kind of revitalize the studio. Because at that point, the theme parks weren't as huge. I mean, you had uh, Disney World and Epcot and you had Disneyland. And then once yeah. he came in, you know, he had Hollywood Studios and then they got uh, Tokyo Disneyland as well. But, you know, the theme parks weren't this huge thing at that point. And right. so the Disney company still very much was a movie studio, animation. They were starting to get into live action. And I think that was one of the reasons why they brought him in. And I think it just goes to show you the impact he had as this, you know, kind of movie producer, someone who could pick out good ideas, get the right actors in there. I mean, if you look at it, like you said, a lot of these were, are really great movies, but even if you look at the actors in them, we mentioned Glenn Close. I mean, she got uh, right. nominated, I think, for a Golden Globe for her role in 101 Dalmatians. Again, we got you know John Hughes, who's a, a great screenwriter and director who wrote a few of these movies. Robin Williams was in a few movies. Um, when we talked to... Lindsay when we, Lohan before when we she talked kind of blew to, up. to Tom Bancroft, he mentioned how, you know, Michael Eisner brought in Eddie Murphy. I mean, that he knew that he could get him for uh, Mushu, Mushu from Milan. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, he was able, he had those Hollywood connections to bring people in and really provide, like bolster the cast and make people want to go see the movies that were he knew were already going to be great, but um, kind of give that extra push to them. 
Yeah, and I, I think it just goes to show the impact he had. Because again, in the 80s, you had Tron, which I think was somewhat successful. But we talked about a lot of the other movies that came out in the 80s that were kind of like, I can't believe Disney even made these movies just based on the themes. And, and they didn't really do very well. So I mean, definitely check that out where we go into more details. But you have a lot more successful string of movies in the 90s. And that doesn't even include all of Pixar movies, right. which was not part of Disney at the time. Right, right. So, of course, now we can rec- retrospectively include all of these. So, Toy Story was released in 1995. It was a phenomenon because it was the first movie that had, um, you know, CG animation. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was... I, I believe it was the first fully computer-animated feature movie. Yeah, it, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely... If it wasn't the first, it was probably the first really mainstream one that that was fully computer animated. And obviously, we know that the that, that development of that basically changed the face of animation forever, it seems. Um, and then also, A Bug's Life came out in 1998. And then, I can't even believe that they got it in before 2000, but to, Tour Story 2 in 1999 as well. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about Pixar in the 90s is how far apart their movies were. Uh-huh. So if, if you look at it, Toy Story came out in 1995, and I think they worked on that for like five or six years. If you read Ed Catmull's book, uh, Creativity Inc., he goes into a lot of detail about the early times at Pixar, and it, it, it took them a long time to get this movie made. But then it took three years after that to get to A Bug's Life. Now, it was only a year after that to get to Toy Story 2. So they, they started picking it up after Toy Story was a success. I mean, now they're making you know a movie every year or so. But it's just the amount of time it took for them to kind of build up that staff to be able to produce well, these movies is really interesting. Well, it makes sense, too, because the technology has improved today. And we, I mean, if you watch the making of... Uh, video uh, or the the series on Disney Plus, you can see how long it takes them just to animate a sequence for Frozen Two, and that's today with our technology. So I can imagine, can only imagine back in the '90s, you know, all those things that they were doing. They took a long time, and then they might cut them anyway. But then just rendering them might take forever. Yeah, and I almost think now that we're talking about it, those kind of limitations are, I think, what made Pixar a success, whereas other animation studios by the time they got into the game technology was a little bit better and so they didn't focus on story as much like if you think about it when pixar started there's a reason they started with toy story it's because they could not realistically model humans Mm -hmm. and so actually if you look at one of the original scenes all of the children at andy's birthday party are all just andy like if you look at them yeah they're all they all have exactly the same face because they're shown so quickly and they really never showed the humans that often that they kind of just copied the model across to Andy. So it kind of necessitated Pixar to make these fantastical worlds where toys are the main character or bugs are the main character or you know cars or monsters are the main character because they really couldn't do humans that well. Now, I mean, with animation now, I mean... You look at what Disney's doing with Frozen and Moana. I mean, oh, they yeah. can they can very. Re- I mean, they can make water and fire and everything. It's all very realistic. But I think that's almost what gave Pixar that kind of special sauce that mm-hmm. helped them because they really had to focus on these just crazy stories and and build these worlds that I think really spoke to children because yeah. it's and and it was easier to make it look more realistic because or not necessarily realistic but believable right because. 
you weren't taken out by that toy doesn't look quite right because they could make a realistic looking toy. Right. Whereas if it, if it was more focused on Andy and the people in it, it would have been a lot more difficult. You would have been pulled out of it a lot more. So also just real quickly, continuing with um, the, so TV shows as well. We talked about uh, the Goof Troop TV show, Duck the Ducktales. Ducktales, woohoo! Yeah, so that uh, that was actually in the late '80s, but. It actually spawned a movie, the DuckTales movie in 1990. This was interesting. I, I didn't remember this, but The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, uh, Timon and Pumbaa, and Hercules all had TV series in the 90s. They all mm-hmm. ran for about two or three seasons. Um, and there's also an animated series called Gargoyles, yes. which I'm not sure if I ever saw this. I don't really necessarily remember it, but it ran for three seasons from 94 to 97. It does have a cult following now. IGN actually ranked it number 45 out of the top 100 animated series in 2009. We have to watch this because it it does it's funny cuz I'm I re-downloaded because I have no strength of character. I re-downloaded um Emoji Blitz, the Disney game and I see those gargoyles characters emojis on there all the time. And so I'm always like I need to watch that movie cuz I have no idea what this is about. So the the premise of the show and I was able to find like some trailers and some clips on YouTube cuz I wanted to look it up to be like did I ever see this? And again I don't remember it. But it's these gargoyles or warriors that when the sun comes up they're stone gargoyles but then at night they're freed and they were warriors like a thousands of years ago but they were cursed for a thousand years and then they moved to Manhattan and are awakened again. Mm. And so it's, it's this whole thing. And there was actually supposed to be a tie in. Like one of the episodes was supposed to tie into hunchback. I was going to say her. Yeah. Hunchback has the gargoyles. Right. And I think maybe that's why they included the gargoyles. We talked about this when we reviewed the Renaissance of, I feel like those gargoyles don't make sense. Cause I don't know. Are they real? Are they just mm-hmm. in Quasimodo's head? But if maybe you're tying them into some sort of backstory around this Gargoyles TV show, which was yeah. really popular, maybe that would have made more sense. Yeah, maybe. Um, but like Marvel made a comic series about them. So they were they were pretty big wow. back in the 90s. I, I wonder if it's on Disney Plus. I'm not sure. We'll have to, yeah, let's have check, to check it out. But yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. I'm sure you could probably find it on, on YouTube as well. That's kind of all the movies and everything. But like we talked about, you know, a, a huge expansion in terms of theme parks and while there were a lot of positives and we'll kind of walk through some of the additions, it, it wasn't a smooth ride all the way. So yeah. there definitely was some issues. A lot of projects were announced and were canceled due to financial constraints. I mean, one of the theme parks that opened was the the Paris, Disneyland Paris or Euro Disney. It opened in 1992, but it had a lot of financial troubles at the beginning, they had a hard time getting guests there. And those financial troubles impacted a lot of other projects that were announced and were canceled. And again, we'll, we'll kind of touch on those. But one of the other big things that that kind of impacted the whole Disney company throughout the decade is in the middle of the 90s. So Michael Eisner was CEO. Frank Wells was COO. Frank Wells died tragically in a helicopter accident in mm-hmm. 1994. And Jeffrey Katzenberg... I think wanted to take his place. Michael Eisner didn't promote him. So he left shortly thereafter to form DreamWorks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Katzenberg was a driving force behind a lot of this resurgence in animation, like around the Lion King and everything. And so that created a lot of issues at the top again. And 
Michael Eisner actually brought in a friend, Michael Ovitz, who was the founder of the CAA uh, agency to be president. That didn't work out in 14 months. He was gone and his severance package, he got $38 million in cash and $100 million in stock options, which then caused a like a shareholder lawsuit that took like 10 years to settle. So Disney, you can hire and fire me anytime if I get a severance like that. Right. But so there was a lot of issues in the mid nineties that kind of impacted a lot of things. Despite all that, there was still this huge expansion, but it did play a lot of impact. And there were a lot of ideas that were thrown around that we didn't ultimately get. So some of the things, you know, with the theme parks, there was an expansion plan for Disneyland called Westcott. Expansion plan for Disneyland. Very, yes. very nice ring to it. Yeah, say that three times fast. Um, but, but so it was called Westcott, and it was supposed to be essentially a replica of Epcot, only bigger. So it was actually going to have a 300-foot-tall spaceship Earth. Now, the one in Epcot is only 180 feet tall. But it was supposed to be this huge, like $2 billion expansion to add a second theme park in Disneyland. They announced it in 1991, but then again, with the issues with uh, Disneyland Paris, with the management issues and, and everything, it was abandoned by 1995. That plot of land actually became uh, DCA. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Eventually. Um, but so that was one of the things that was announced and abandoned. There's actually a lot of stuff announced and abandoned. I feel like they don't do that kind of stuff anymore like if they announce it they usually yeah they follow through yeah i mean because there was also the announcement for uh, disney's america to be built in virginia that was announced in 1993 and then they ran some numbers on it found out it was never gonna make money so they canceled <laughs> it in 1994 <laughs> uh, again i mean so they had some like huge parks announced um that ultimately never made it now we did get disneyland paris and but and we did get a huge expansion of walt disney world yeah, so we got Blizzard Beach in 1995. That's a pretty that's a pretty cool park. And then my favorite, Animal Kingdom in 1998. So yeah, the 20-year the just happened for that one a couple of years ago. And um, yeah, that's still one of my favorite parks till today. Right, and it really was all about making Disney World this multi-day resort destination. So with the added theme parks, You also got a lot of hotels built. Like It's hard to believe what Disney World was like before the 90s because we got all those additions, but then we also got uh, both Port Orleans hotels, uh, so 91 and 92. All-Star Music and Sports opened in 94. Now, movies didn't open until 1999, um, but the Boardwalk Hotel opened in 96. The Beach and Yacht Club opened in 1990, actually. Wilderness Lodge opened in 1994, and Coronado Springs opened in 1997. So those are a lot of big hotels that, oh, yeah. that just opened, you know, in the mid 90s. Um, and again, it was it was just this as it was growing. You added the downtown Disney, you you know, so you added shopping to it. You added more hotels, more theme parks. It became this resort feel. Uh, DVC started in 1991, and so. You start getting the kind of timeshare rental. I mean, yeah. it, it just became and, and any if, anything you wanted to do, you could do at Disney. And then if that wasn't enough, they decided to start their own cruise line in 1994. So the Disney Magic came out uh, was like finished in 1996, and then Disney Wonder in 1997. Right. The ESPN Wild World of Sports opened in 97 as well. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it it is really crazy to think. You know, in 1989, Hollywood Studios opens. They have three parks there. 
But really, all of this other stuff that goes around the parks that, that you think about, all of these hotels, downtown Disney, Animal Kingdom, mm-hmm. I mean, a second water park, you know, they open up a lot of golf courses and everything and all these other attractions. That still wasn't there yet. I mean, yeah. it still was, yeah, you would go there for maybe a couple of days because you had the Magic Kingdom, but in Hollywood Studios, we talked about when it opened, it had like two rides. Uh-huh. Like people would just be there for like a half a day, if anything. I think Epcot was still trying to find its footing. It's just crazy to think like most of Disney World is, is has existed less on than we have. Like we've been around for longer than a lot of Disney World has. And a lot of the parks, I mean, even the international parks right. you know, that came out like, like Paris. But I think what's most amazing is that Michael Eisner saw this. I mean, it, like uh-huh. it really very much was his vision I mean, he kind of fast-tracked Hollywood Studios and probably opened that with a little less than what they <laughs> should have. But he he really came in and he said, look, we need to build out this resort model. Like, we need to keep people on property as much as we can. Yeah. And we need to get them to stay. If we build these parks, if we build these hotels, if we have shopping and restaurants and all these other experiences – they will stay and that you know and and so instead of people coming for a day or two it's going to become a destination and you know not only did disney grow at this time but i mean the whole orlando theme park industry i yeah. mean you know universal down the road they had universal studios but then they built islands of adventure which you know attracted a lot of people that were at disney they would go up there for a few days you know, we've, we've talked about these whole theme park wars where they're, you know, they get Harry Potter, Disney gets, you know, Star Wars. I mean, it really created this just insane tourism boom down there. Like, it's, it's just really crazy to think how one person kind of saw a lot of this vision and really drove a lot of this forward. Mm-hmm. And then even the international expansion. Yeah, they, they announced Disney Sea in 1995. We've talked about that also. Let's check out our, our Tokyo Disney episodes. Disney Sea is an incredible park. It's beautiful. It's unlike the other Disney parks. So that was announced in 1995, and then Hong Kong was announced in 1999. Right, and Disney Sea actually opened in 2001, so it took a while to open, um, which makes sense because, because it's so elaborate. Yeah, it's a good park. So I think what happened is they announced it in 95, but then they didn't like formally sign the agreement until 97. So I think it took them ultimately like four years to build it. But yeah, just just the international expansion, everything that you have. So the other things just kind of, you know, interesting points across the company. So we, you know, we talked about them owning an NHL team. They also purchased a majority stake in a major league baseball team. So in the Anaheim Angels. So now not only does Disney own all these theme parks, they own two sports teams, <laughs> which is crazy to think that Disney owned two sports teams at a, at a one point in time yeah, it is. um they also purchased which this is probably the biggest acquisition they purchased abc cap cities for 19 billion so that was the biggest acquisition disney had done until they did the fox acquisition a couple years ago but this brought on espn this gave them abc and a place for their content for all the animated series and tv shows that they were producing right. also brought on bob Iger. I'm, yeah i was gonna say i mean this is this put them even more mainstream because ABC is one of your major channels. So they could throw on a movie of theirs, you know, as a special occasion and then really just promote themselves. Yeah. And, and this came about, I think, because Eisner originally tried to buy NBC from uh, GE in 1994, but that fell through because GE wanted to keep 51%. So We're talking about General Electric. Yeah. They used to own it. 
Wow. They used to own NBC until they sold to Comcast. Um, but then a year later, uh, he buys ABC. So hmm. it's really interesting. I also think another interesting tidbit, because not everything went well. Uh, Disney also bought the search engine InfoSeek in 1999. <laughs> so they got caught up in the dot-com boom here and said, oh, we're, we're buying it. Uh, I mean, yeah. I never even heard of that one. Like, it's not Ask Jeeves or... Oh, no, because it failed. So it, I mean, it didn't make it very long. I mean, it's crazy to even think about the the invent of that. I remember my eighth grade science teacher saying something about Google. And I'm like, I don't use Google. I use ask Jeeves. And then now what do we still use today? You know? Yeah. Everything's Google. Yeah. But with this, they launched their own basically internet called go.com. And it was, it was like their own hosting domain. And it's kind of like a convoluted thing, but they were basically trying to create like an alternative to like the regular internet type thing. It's, it's really strange. And they wanted to have this info seek be hosted on it. Hmm. Um, but again, that, that info seek never really went well. And it ultimately I think was sold to Yahoo or Yahoo um, provides all the responses for it. But go.com is still in existence. So if you ever Ooh. go to that, you ever go to go.com. Yes. No, but if you ever, if you ever go to one of Disney sites, so like if you go to Disney world, uh, like WaltDisneyWorld.com or like Disneyland, if you go to any of their sites, you'll see in the domain, it's like WaltDisneyWorld.go.com. <laughs> so they actually still have everything hosted on this go.com web domain. So while it hmm. went nowhere and it was, you know, they had huge plans for it. Cause again, .com, anything with, you know, the .com bubble, anything yeah. internet was going to be huge, but they still have all of their stuff hosted on this go.com. And it's like the only like lasting remnant of this whole thing. Like they announced it was going to be shut down and not go anywhere, but it's still like the backbone of their technology. So yeah. go like, go to one of their websites and you'll see in the domain, uh, you know, .go.com. So if you've ever noticed that and been wondering, why does it say that? That's why. Oh, it's because Disney had this huge plan uh, huh. in the late 90s that never went anywhere. Interesting. Another crazy thing that they did in the 90s was the advent of their Broadway unit, which they formed in 1993. And then in 1994, they re- had their first show out, which was Beauty and the Beast. And then in 97 everyone's favorite the lion king came out and then also well, it's your favorite well, i don't know if it's okay. everybody's favorite I, I i don't even know if it's my favorite i loved frozen i'm still really bummed that it's off of Bar- like it's gone off of broadway but i will uh, say i do think probably lion king is everybody's favorite because that's like the highest grossing insane. one it's the longest running one so far it's insane and it's so it's so i mean everything that they did with that show is just so inventive like all the costumes and everything we've done an episode on that too so I think, check that out i think aladdin may be able to give it a run for its money in terms of longest lasting and highest grossing but i don't see the lion king ever going anywhere yeah. so it's gonna be really hard to beat that but like beauty and the, the beast, spectacle of aladdin is crazy yeah but like beauty and the beast i think was very successful but that you know comes on and off broadway i mean kind of like you mentioned frozen that's not coming back i guess the tour is still going to happen for frozen yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not sure, Hopefully. but yeah, but Lion King is kind of the behemoth, uh, you know, out of the Broadway unit here. You also had the Hunchback one, which I had no idea they did mm-hmm. in, in 1999. But yeah, I mean, again, they, they took the Renaissance movies, did Beauty and the Beast. It did well. So they just kind of kept it going. I believe they even had a Tarzan one that came out in the uh, early 2000s. We'll have to confirm that for when we do our next decade episode. That's one I would love to see because Tarzan, I mean, Phil Collins didn't have to go that hard, but he did. And he did it for us. Right, yeah. So I, I think, you know, everything 
Disney added, I think it's easy to see why the company grew so much in the 90s. So they actually increased their market cap uh, from about $2 billion in 1984, which was that was kind of when the whole Save Disney campaign was going on. So by 1996, the company was worth $53 billion. I think it's it's easy to see why, because you add two professional sports teams, you add a Broadway unit, you add a cruise line, you add all these hotels and resort destinations and everything, and additional theme parks. And again, it's really the 90s were when Disney morphed into the company I think we know today. You know, watching the behind the scenes of the Animal Kingdom show on Disney Plus, I'm just kind of blown away because you don't really think about Disney as a zoo. Yeah. And seeing all of the the vets and caretakers they have for all of these animals behind the scenes. And how they adapt. I mean, the amount of problem solving that those people use on a daily basis is insane. The things that they teach the animals, like you don't realize that they train like every one of their animals. Like I think it was the lat, not the episode that just came out, but the episode where they're talking about how they're training the giraffes to put their hooves up so they can, they can trim their, their hooves. And it's just like, wow, like you don't think about that. I mean, I even worked at a zoo. Like I wasn't a keeper or anything, but I don't even think I realized that they did like that zoo did that. And, uh, and I'm sure that, I mean, Disney just, I don't know. It, it's just crazy. The stuff that they, they do. Yeah. And I, that's what I even mentioned to you. It's like, you know, everybody thinks of SeaWorld and maybe not so much anymore with Blackfish kind of some of their problems, but you know, SeaWorld is kind of positioned themselves as a park slash conservation, you know, yes. type thing where you can learn about animals and things. But, but I mean, I feel like, you know, nobody thinks of Disney like that as much, but they yeah. do it on a huge scale. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Animal Kingdom is a park built around that. They have, you know, two zoos between the Animal Kingdom and Animal Kingdom Lodge. It's just crazy to think that a huge media company puts this much resources into maintaining these animals and caring for these animals and everything they do. And I was even thinking about like, when the parks were closed due to COVID, mm-hmm. all those keepers had to be there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like you can just shut down and say, nobody's going to take care of the animals anymore. Like, right. it's it's just crazy to think that what they do for that and, you know, at the same time, they're running some of the most visited hotels in the world and they're, they're running some of the, um, you know, most visited restaurants and and, you know, high quality restaurants in the world. And at the same time, they're, they're running the most... Uh, visited theme parks in the world and at the same time they're the biggest movie studio it's just crazy to think that one company does so many different things Mm -hmm. and again they do the they do it well because a lot of places you know they will try to do many different things and then they spread themselves too thin and then the quality drops but i mean disney you you watch this documentary and you can see how much care they put into caring for the animals you know they might not transfer an animal to a certain place to you know where they they would typically take them because it would stress them out so they will do the procedure there which means they have to transport all this equipment in and just all of these things you know there's a little bump on the lion's foot let's check it out make sure it's not cancerous or anything i mean the amount the level of care that they give these animals is great and i mean these animals are animal ambassadors they're really helping to spread that conservation message that walt Walt was also passionate about that so 
I mean, it is, it makes sense that they are into this, but they do it to a, a fairly large scale. Yeah, you're right. That That's a good point that, that Walt was very much into the Disney nature movies conservation. So they, they kind of have had that through line through the company. Right. But yeah, but just again, looking back on it, I feel like pre-1990, Disney didn't do that many different things. I mean, they, they did animation and they did movies and even and they the, had some theme parks. Yeah. And even in the eighties, it was kind of waning how well they even made those movies. Right. You know, pre pre nineteen ninety. And then in the nineties they just started doing everything. And you're right, they they started doing it really well. Um, and it just kind of continued to grow. You know, some speed bumps in the early two thousands, which we will get into our next uh time we do one of these series so probably in another month or so we'll do the 2000s as the next decade we can only do two more we have two more decades and then we have to wait 10 years to do the next one oh my goodness i think these episodes are getting more interesting as we get closer to modern day and i don't know if it's just because we've lived through a lot of this stuff that it, it like it's it's just more interesting but i also feel like there's a lot more going on in the company as it grows there's just naturally more things happening and so I think, you know, as we get in the, the 2000s and the, and the 2010s, again, it's just going to get more stuff happening um, that just, just makes it for just kind of an interesting time to be a part of this and to kind of witness what's going on. All right. But so I think that wraps up this episode. want to thank everybody again for listening. I uh, really appreciate it. Again, if you're if you're new, make sure you subscribe. If you're a returning listener and you haven't already, leave us a rating or a review. Uh, it really helps us reach a larger audience, and it's probably the quickest thing you can do and the easiest thing you can do to really support the show. But we really appreciate everybody listening. Thanks for lending us your ears. And have a great week, everybody. We'll see you here next Monday. Bye.